Good morning. How's it going? Today's the third Sunday of Advent, so we're going to uh, light our third Advent candle. I can have the slide here. We're going to light this third candle as a sign of hope that the Spirit of God may anoint us to show God's liberating love. And then let's read this next slide together. Living God, proclaim liberty to captives. Set us free, that we may free others. Bind our wounds, that we may heal others. Fill us with your spirit, and anoint us with your love. So God, this morning as we continue to worship together, I pray that you would truly fill us with your love. Make us a people of love. Uh, God, may we live out the incarnation uh, as we live in this season of anticipation and longing and hope. God, may we live into the true meaning of Christmas, sharing the healing and hope and love of Jesus with everyone we encounter. Uh, bless us, God, as we open the scriptures this morning. Lead and guide us by your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, we're in the book of Philippians. So, um, when we started the book of Philippians, uh, I talked with Brian about teaching last Sunday. I don't know if he shared this with you last Sunday. If he did, uh, this is, you know, you've already heard this. But I, I said, I think by the Sunday you teach, I should be at the end of Philippians 1. And so why don't you take these last verses in Philippians 1. Um, we're in Philippians 1.15 uh, this morning. So I'm going to start with verse 12 to give us a little context, and then we'll uh, start discussing verse 15. So uh, remember, Paul is in prison. He's in a Roman prison. Uh, some scholars believe in Ephesus. Most scholars believe he's in prison in Rome. Uh, and he is writing this letter to a Roman colony called Philippi. Uh, this small group of Jesus followers in Philippi. He's writing to encourage them. He's writing to let them know. He's praying for them. He's writing to thank them for how they have provided for him uh, in financial ways and in physical ways. And he's writing to let them know how much joy he has uh, in their faith in Christ Jesus. And he, want, and he says in verse 12, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, being put in prison, has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Uh, this is a remarkable chunk uh, of scripture to me. Um, Paul is in prison, and, he, and he's saying, there are some out there who actually like the fact that I'm in prison, because 
I'm out of their way, and they want to advance themselves. And so there are, there's envy, there's rivalry, there's selfish ambition for proclaiming Jesus. Can you imagine that there would be preachers who would do that? I mean, this is 2,000 years ago. So, of course, 2,000 years ago, yeah, maybe that could happen, the beginning of the church and everything. But, I mean, in our day and age, preachers that would be preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition, I can't imagine. Can you imagine? Uh, but in Paul's day, this is what's going on. And he, he says they're doing it out of envy, rivalry, out of selfish ambition, but there's others who are doing it out of goodwill and out of love. And then Paul puts out this amazing statement. What does it matter? What does it matter? Now, I, I prefer uh, to tell my children that the word whatever is not in a, a word that we want to use in regular conversation. To just, like, when we're talking about something, uh, what do you prefer? Even if it's as simple as, uh, what's your preference, to do this or to do this? Whatever. No. Right? But isn't that, it kind of seems like that's what Paul's doing here. Whatever. Whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Uh, Paul has attained uh, something here, a, a level of intimacy with Christ and a level of, uh, of love for others, even in their false motives. He's attained something that I, I don't think <laughs> I've attained. Uh, when, when I see people, whether it's televangelists or, or other people, that it seems like they're, they're using Jesus for their own ends, something rises up in me uh, that is not pretty. And yet, I look at, at Paul here, eh, whatever. Whether false motives are true. The important thing, Christ is preached. Uh, when we think about envy, rivalry, I, I think there's a number of things we can think about. Uh, next slide. Rivalry. Uh, We've heard enough about this to last us a lifetime, though, right? So let's move on to the next slide. Rivalry. And these, this, uh, this is a fun, healthy rivalry, right? Uh, next slide. A little bit of rivalry. Uh, when you think about corporate America, when you think about the business world, there is envy and rivalry deeply rooted in the marketplace, isn't there? Uh, but when we think about the way of Jesus, that, that there would be envy and rivalry amongst different pastors, amongst different churches, uh, it, it's just not true to the nature of who Jesus is. Uh, even when we think about uh, clashes of worldviews, the Christian worldview versus whatever other worldview might be out there. I, I don't think Jesus calls us to clash worldviews. I think he calls us to live the way of Jesus and show that it's the best possible way to live. Uh, next slide. Anyone know what this is? Ichthus. It's a, 
Christian fish. Uh, uh, many scholars believe this is the earliest Christian symbol. That this came about before the symbol of the cross as a sign of Christianity. Uh, many believe that uh, early Christians would put this sign uh, on their door or near their home to show we're a Christian home. In the midst of the Roman Empire, many believe this was like a secret symbol to identify yourself with Jesus. And so uh, the Jesus way, it, it, there is an entire worldview around living in that way. Uh, but then uh, someone came up with this. And I think you can interpret this a number of ways. I just simply think this means Darwin is within Jesus. <laughs> uh, and so someone came up with this. And so what did some Christian do? I, I, I don't know just doesn't strike me as the way of Jesus. Uh, but apparently dinosaurs always win. Uh, like this could just keep going, couldn't it? Uh, <laughs> it could just keep going. Um, let's go to the next slide. Here's a good quote. The impossibility of conceiving that this grand and wondrous universe with our conscious selves arose through chance seems to me the chief argument for the existence of God. So here's somebody uh, saying, this is why I believe God exists. It, it just, this, all of this just couldn't have happened by chance. And so therefore, th this is the chief argument for why God exists exists. Now, there's uh, all kinds of uh, what are called apologists out there, Christian apologists, who basically make arguments for the existence of God. And I, I think that can be really healthy uh, and, and good dialogue. But, but when it's uh, just to prove a point, it, it's not done out of love. And, and so here's someone uh, trying to make an argument for why God exists. I, who do you think said this? Let's look at who said this. Oh, interesting. So, I wonder if sometimes we engage in rivalry where it's just, it doesn't make sense. Now, I, I'm not here to argue about whether or not at the end of his life, Darwin believed in God or trusted in Jesus. I, I just simply think there's a better way forward than one-upping, than uh, our fish eating their fish. Um, next slide. I found this. Now, isn't that nice? There, there has to be a way forward, because uh, scientific evidence, scientific facts, these are all rooted in a creator god of the universe. And so it's not science versus faith. It's Science informs our faith. And there's a way forward that is healthy and good. Um, next slide. Let's talk a little about envy, rivalry, selfish ambition. Because um, 
these are temptations we face no matter where we find ourselves, right? It's not just in the church. It's in the marketplace. It's in our schools. It's uh, in our homes. It's wherever we find ourselves. What, what will we choose? False motives or true motives? False motives or true. So I want to invite you just for a moment to reflect on one area of your life. Uh, choose the home, choose school, choose the workplace, choose the soccer field or some other sports arena. Just choose one area of your life and then reflectively ask yourself, where am I facing envy? Where do I see rivalry in my own heart and life? Where is selfish ambition trying to get a stronghold in my life? And with that, simply invite God into that space and, and ask God to release you from that envy, from that rivalry, from that selfish ambition, and replace it with God's love. Uh, God, come into that place and replace it with your love. When, when I think about these things, envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, uh, selfish ambition often finds itself uh, rooted in, in a few things. Next slide. Status, money, and power. And so we're, we're tempted towards status. Uh, we're tempted towards monetary gain. Uh, we're tempted uh, towards power. And uh, for some folks, one of them arises above the other in some capacity. Uh, and so as Paul is speaking here, my hunch is he, he's touching on these elements, that there are those out there out of false motives who, who want a particular status. And Paul being in prison helps them attain this status because Paul's out of the way. Paul is, if you want to say, the, the number one apostle or the number one preacher of the day. Now he's in prison, and so I have an opportunity to attain this status. Uh, others, out of financial gain, they want to make money off of sharing the gospel of Jesus. Uh, others, because they want power. Um, so... I'm going to get personal with you for a little bit here. Uh, I have purposely not uh, talked about some things in the five years that I've been here, and I, I have different reasons for that. Uh, one of them is that I don't always find that they fit uh, with the text. So I don't want to force anything. Um, this morning, I, I could easily just not talk about it and avoid it. Uh, the, the elders from time to time uh, have conversations about our budget. 
about money. Um, in a sermon in five years, I've never talked about money. Uh, so should I talk about it today? Should we take a vote? <laughs> I don't know what your hands mean, if that's a yes or no. Um, but, uh, and I've been asked by the elders, why, why, uh, why? Why don't you want to talk about money? And I have a number of very personal reasons for that, not the least of which is that I believe the church has abused it. Uh, I've seen it abused. I, I've seen preachers preach about give, 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 give. And I've seen people leave the church over it. Uh, and I never want to do that. Uh, people have told me, you know, you know, the Bible talks about money a lot, and Matt, you don't. <laughs> That's fair. <clears throat> um, how do I want to say this? Well, let's talk about status first. Maybe God will give me the money thing here in a moment. Uh, so one thing I, I don't like to talk about, uh, well, I do like to talk about how I, Jenna and I, uh, along with a community of our friends, prayerfully discerned we were to come to this church. Um, about two years before we came here, uh, God, we were sensing God was saying to us, uh, prepare yourselves for something new. And we didn't realize it would take two years, but uh, prepare yourselves for something new. Uh, this church was the only church in two years that I sent an application to, uh, a resume to. And so it felt like God's confirmation that this church asked us, to come. Uh, I left a church where I was a pastor on staff uh, of thousands of people, and, and I came here uh, seeking status. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so when we, uh, so money, Let, uh, when we did a cost of living analysis, we realized, oh, that might not work out. But we came on faith. And uh, there's a time where I took a pay cut here. Uh, there uh, is a time coming in January where I may take another one if we don't meet budget. Uh, the, the benchmarking we've done, we realized that as a lead pastor and as a student's pastor, Brian and I make significantly less than the average youth or lead pastor in Marin. So we do this for money. <clears throat> um, one of the reasons I've never talked about money in a sermon before is because uh, I have a particularly, what I suppose one of my struggles and that I just need to get over and that I need to deal with is I have a particularly difficult time knowing that you all pay my salary and that I am forever indebted to you. Uh, and Jenna and I give faithfully back to the church just like you do, uh, but it, it, 
it's particularly difficult for me to get up and say, would you please give to our church so we can meet budget when I know part of that is to pay my salary uh, so I can provide for my family. So I want to say thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, We're, our church is way under budget, and it is what it is. And in January, if I take a pay cut, I will still be here because I feel called, I feel called to this place. Uh, Paul says, some uh, preach Christ out of selfish ambition, some out of false motives, others out of true. Uh, I know that I'm a deeply broken person and that my motives are not always pure. So I don't want to stand up here and try to present myself as, well, my motives are always true and good and pure. I, I think after five years, you all know me well enough to know that I'm not the pastor guy who wants you to think I have it all together and that I need to tell you all how to live. I, I am a fellow broken human being with all of you. Uh, and so I know that when we look at false motives or true, it's always muddy, isn't it? Uh, in whatever we're engaging in, whether it's church life, family life, work life, the, there are muddied motives. Uh, and, and I'll be the first to admit that, that uh, I'm a broken, imperfect human being. But what I'm grateful for is that I get to be broken and imperfect with all you broken and imperfect people. And if there's any one of you who is looking for a perfect church, you've found the wrong church. Uh, because we're all broken, muddied, imperfect human beings. Uh, and yet, Christ is preached. And it is Christ who redeems and heals and restores and renews the brokenness and uh, gives us life. Um, and then power, I'm definitely here for power, so let's move on from there. Uh, Paul said, what, is, what does it matter? Christ is preached. I love this about Paul, this amazing, unbelievable, capacity to, to hold the muddiness, really, and say, hey, if Christ is preached, I rejoice. And he says, yes, I, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, uh, I can have the next slide. So this uh, turnout for my deliverance is actually a quote out of the book of Job. And so I'm going to read a chunk of Job to give you context around it. Uh, Job, if you remember, uh, he's lost everything, really. And uh, he has these three friends who come to him to encourage him so much by telling him, you must have done something, Job. You must have <laughs> sinned against God. It's your fault, Job. Uh, and so Job responds, uh, keep silent and let me speak. Then let come to me what may. 
Why do I put myself in jeopardy and take my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. This is where Paul's quoting from. For no godless person would dare come before him. Listen carefully to what I say. Let my words ring in your ears. Now that I have prepared my case, I know I will be vindicated. Can anyone bring charges against me? If so, I will be silent and die. Uh, so Job is making his case and, and saying, I didn't do anything that would cause this. Uh, surely I will be vindicated. Surely this will turn out for my deliverance. And so Paul is pulling off of this idea, and in many ways saying, I am going through similar things that Job went through, but surely this will turn out for my deliverance. Next slide. Uh, Greek word for deliverance is soteria. Everywhere else Paul uses this term is translated salvation, not deliverance. It's where theologians get uh, the term soteriology, simply the study of salvation or the nature of salvation. Uh, and so Paul is saying, surely this will turn out for my deliverance or surely this will turn out for my salvation. And so Paul is not saying, surely this will turn out for me getting freed from jail. And that becomes clear as he continues writing and what we'll get to next week. He is saying, surely this will turn out for my deliverance or my salvation or my vindication. In other words, Paul says, I have been faithful and I have been true and I can stand before God and know that I will not be proved guilty. Whether the Romans kill me and call me guilty or not, I am not guilty before God. And so for Paul, there's this deep sense that he is free. Even though he is in prison physically, there is this deep sense within him that he is free. And there's two things that Paul points to. He says, I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And so there, there are the prayers of those in Philippi who are praying for him and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Paul is using beautiful Trinitarian language here. God has provided the Spirit of Jesus Christ. This triune God who is present to Paul by the Spirit who is within him, and this triune God who is present to Paul through the prayers of the community. Uh, I wonder this morning uh, what situation you find yourself in where you are longing for deliverance. Uh, we invite people to fill out prayer cards every week. Because we believe that God hears our prayers. Uh, would you allow this community the privilege 
of praying for you. Uh, we have faith communities, our small groups uh, at this church who meet throughout the week, different places in the county. And these groups, they, they pray for each other because prayer matters. Paul is in prison and, and he's saying, there's two things that confirm for me that, that I'll be vindicated by God, that I'll experience the freedom that comes in Jesus. One is your prayers. And the other is God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, in, in a moment, we're going to take communion and partake of the bread and the cup. And uh, I wonder, uh, some of our prayer folks and elders, if you'd be willing to be available down front after the service. I, I, I think there's a number of us here this morning who could use the prayers of the community, uh, whatever situation you find yourself in, whether it's a broken relationship or, or uh, a broken work situation or something broken in the home or uh, your finances or you name it, you fill in the blank. What, what is it you're longing to experience the deliverance, the freedom of Jesus in your life. Uh, and if you would like, as we partake, as we dip this bread in this cup, if you'd like to have someone pray for you, uh, we would love to do that. Uh, th this is a symbol of God's deliverance in our lives. Uh, this season of Advent, where we're longing for the coming Messiah. Uh, we, we think about the coming of the baby Jesus. We also think about the Advent, the, the longing of the coming of Christ in our midst. Again, uh, he is our deliverer. And when we partake of the bread and the cup, we, we do so to remember what Christ has done until he comes. So we also do it out of longing and hope for the coming of Jesus again in our midst where he will make all things right. Where Jesus will complete the restoration of our brokenness, complete the restoration of this broken world, and we will experience shalom like we never imagined. Uh, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat. And in the same way, he took the cup, said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Um, kind of the last slide. Let's uh, proclaim these words together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ is coming again. God, thank you for the promise that we have in Jesus. <clears throat> Thank you for Jesus' life. 
that he came into this world as a baby, as one of us, to serve us and ultimately to save us. God, thank you for the gift of Christ's death on behalf of all of us. God, thank you that we live knowing that Christ is risen. And we long and hope for the day Christ comes again. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Everyone said. So I want to remind you that our outreach partners are here. Uh, visit their tables for the bazaar. Uh, Plant with Purpose trip coming up in March. Dave is here uh, and would love to meet with those of you who are interested in the trip. So please connect with Dave back at the Plant with Purpose table. And as you go, may you know the deep love of God in your life. May you know that Jesus is the one who by the power of his spirit brings deliverance. Uh, may you be filled with the love of Christ and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you his shalom, the very peace of Jesus that surpasses all understanding. Grace and peace be yours. Amen.